Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word. We know that it is food to our hungry souls. We know that it is strength to our aching bodies. We know that it is refreshment to our crushed spirits. We know that it's like a lamp and a light and it shows us the way. We know that it's like a sword and sometimes it cuts us to the quick. But Lord, when you take your word by the power of the Holy Spirit and, and speak to us, we know too that it does us good. So we pray this morning that you would take of your word, delivered in weakness, and as the Holy Spirit takes it, he will add his power so that it might be received just as we have need of it. Be with us, we pray. We pray also for Eddie and Stella and Matthew at this time. We ask for your healing hand to be upon them. We thank you for them, for their faithful service down many years. We lift them to you now, Lord, and we ask that you will be with them and that in your mercy you would return them to us soon, refreshed, well, and ready to continue their service for you in this place. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What's it like to be forgotten? I uh, used to work, or I still do work from time to time, in London. Um, but a number of years ago, I'd have to go down there every week First train on a Tuesday, last train coming back on the Thursday, spend a lot of time in London. And then of course, as with lots of things in our lives, lockdown hit, COVID hit, and all the things that we used to do and we were so used to doing, suddenly stopped. And about five or six weeks ago, I got a call from the office. I was still working, just working from home. I got a call from the office to say, would you like to come back into London? We've done all this and we've done all of that and we've made the place safe and we think it's a safe time now for you to come back to start working. Not every week like you used to, just every now and again. Now I've been doing that London trip for five years. The same girls on the train on the way down there coming along and bringing me a cup of tea. The same people in the hotel in the Premier Inn that I stayed at every week uh, welcoming me in and sending me to my room and giving me my dinner. I wonder, would they remember me? 726 days. Will anybody remember me? Well, it was quite reassuring. I got to the, uh, the Premier Inn and, and I, I went downstairs to, to book my dinner. And I saw a girl that I recognised. I said, hi, you won't remember me, but I used to be here every week. And she said, oh, how's your granddaughter? There's a long story there. <laughs> But uh, she remembered. On the way back, I bumped into one of the, the girls who had been uh, serving me on the train for the last five years. And she said, how are you doing? I thought you'd retired, or, or worse than that. <laughs> she remembered. It was good to know that I hadn't been forgotten. And of course, we've got all sorts of ways of keeping in touch with each other these days. You've already mentioned the WhatsApp group, the dreaded WhatsApp group. Your phone goes ping and you think, oh, no, not another one. There's emails, there's phones, there's video calls. Even letters during lockdown. 
had a renaissance. People took up the pen and the paper and there was a, a massive increase in personal letters being sent. But in Bible times, it was different. There was no easy way of communicating with those around. And so as Asaph writes this psalm, and maybe it's sung in the community of, of believers, there would be no easy way, like we have these days, of putting it on Spotify or, or, or whatever it is, so that churches all over the world can sing it. But the psalm here of Asaph has a message for us for today. Asaph was somebody who wrote the psalms that we number from 73 through to 83. And he's known as the psalmist who was always real. He told it as it was. James Montgomery Boyce, in his um, commentary on the psalms, says this, One thing that you have to say about Asaph, he tells it like it is. He's respectful, but if he's unhappy, or if he's puzzled about what God is doing or not doing, he says so. Read Psalm 73 to 83. I mean, just have a look at a couple of the verses. Psalm 73, verse 1. A psalm of Asaph, his first appearance, I think, in the Psalter. And he says this, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That's a promising start. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he goes on to, to say, Lord, you know, these people who are wicked, these people who are arrogant, these people who are so rich, they have no need of you. And when I looked at them, I was jealous and I stumbled. I wanted to be like them and I forgot about you. Psalm, uh, the same Psalm verses 16 and 17 he comes to his senses like the, the son in the story of the prodigal son. When I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. I just couldn't get my head around it, Asa said. Why was all this going on? Why did the wicked seem to prosper? Until, verse 17, I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. When Asif put himself in the place where God was, Everything fell into place and made sense. Psalm 74. Again, it starts off. Oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? In Psalm 78, the, the one following, um, the one that we read earlier on. I, I spoke on this during lockdown uh, when we were having all of those Zoom meetings and YouTube services and all that sort of stuff. And I called Psalm 78, the, the, the sort of sermon on Psalm 78, let's talk about Jesus. And it was an encouragement to, to those who were around to say, listen, we might not be meeting together, but talk about Jesus with your children. Talk about Jesus with your unsaved family. Talk about Jesus with your friend. Remind them of the great things that he has done because that's what Psalm 78 is all about. It's a history lesson of man's sin, of God's grace and God's power. Psalm 78 verse 22 and 23. 
Because they did not believe in God and they did not, did not trust his saving power. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven and he rained down them manna for them to eat. Talking about the people of God on their journey to the promised land. When in spite of their sin, God fed them. In spite of their grumbling, Lord, it would have been better back in Egypt. At least we had three square meals a day. God fed them from his mercy and his grace with manna and quail. Verses 32 and 33. In spite of all this, they still sinned. Even when they saw the goodness of God amongst them, they carried on sinning. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. And so it goes on. Asaph is a realist. And in these days in which we live, we need to have that dose of realism in our walk with the Lord. He told it as it was. I want to split the psalm this morning into three sections. To make it easy, they all begin with the same letter, letter D. So the first part of the psalm is despair. If you look at the first four verses, you'll find that Asaph is crying out in despair. And then from verse 5 to the first half of uh, verse 10, there's doubting. Asif gets into that place where he, he wonders whether God's forgotten all about him. And then from the second half of verse 10 through to the end of the psalm, we find there's deliverance. Asif finds, yes, there are answers to his questions. There is a way out of the problems that he's facing. So let's get on and have a look at the first of those three points, despair, verses one to four. Here's a man who's been through the bad times. He's been through the sad times. He's been through the sorrowful and have I been forgotten times. He has a lot to teach us in these days where if we look around us, two years of pandemic, the cost of living spiraling out of control. So you know, you, you wonder whether you can afford to put the heating on today because it's going to cost you so much. There's a war on the doorstep of Europe. There's wickedness around in all high places. And we could be asking the same question. What's going on? Has God forgotten about us? And Asaph cries out in despair. I mentioned earlier in Psalm 73... He was confused and he was struggling to comprehend what was going on until he came into the presence of God. And here in, verse 17, in Psalm 77, we read these verses. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I will seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. As we walk through the psalm, there's going to be a few times when I'll ask you, have you been there? Because as we read these first four verses, I can see myself. I can recognize experiences that I've had. Over my days, when you cry out to God, and even as you're crying out, you're wondering whether he's going to hear you. When you think about God, it's with heaviness in your heart and your soul. It seems like the whole world is oppressing you and closing in on you. We don't get told here what Asaph's problem was. 
We're just told that he was in that place where he had to cry out to God. He took his problems and his sighs and his complaints and his troubles and his darkness. He took them all to God. It's a good thing to cry out to God. Psalm 130 is that uh, great psalm, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And um, uh, there's a, a modern hymn being written, I don't know whether it might be an old hymn that's been reinvented. Um, Out of the depths I cry to you. And it talks about, I will wait for you, I will wait for you. My heart, my soul will be satisfied. John Wesley, um, he will be a name that's probably familiar to some of you. He was born just over 400 years ago. In uh, sorry, just over 500 years ago in 1703. He was evidently 300 years ago. Let's get it right, shall we? I used to be able to do maths. I've been away for this week. <laughs> My brain's closed down. Just over 300 years ago. We are 2022, aren't we? In 1703. He was evidently the 15th out of 19 children in his family. But his mum's family outdid that. She was the 25th child in her family. They did things differently in those days. What you may not know about John Wesley was that um, he was working for, for the church. He had a privileged childhood and, and youth. He went to Oxford University was, when he was 17. And he ended up as a missionary in America, in Georgia. And he returned back after a couple of years being out there. What you may not know, though, is that when Wesley was out there in the States... He realised that he wasn't converted. That although he was able to explain the word of God to people, he himself had never been touched by the word of God. On the morning of the day when he said that his heart felt strangely warmed, the day that he finally trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as his saviour, he came across three passages from the Bible. Firstly, he read the words from Mark chapter 12, Verse 34, where the Lord Jesus, speaking to a scribe, said, You're not far from the kingdom of God. That was the morning. That was what he read there in his morning reading. And then in the afternoon, he, he waltzed up to St. Paul's Cathedral, just near where I work in, in, when I'm in London now. And he heard the choir singing Psalm 130. Out of the depths, I cry to you. And he felt the weight of his own uh, despair as he realised that he had to cry out to God himself from the depths. And then in the evening, he was listening to a, a part of a commentary on Romans. He was hearing about being made right with God. He heard about faith and joy and peace. And he writes that his heart was strangely warmed as he cried out to the Lord for salvation. Psalm 130 is a wonderful psalm that takes you from weeping to wandering to worshipping. But it starts off as this one does. Out of the depths I cry to you. And so it was with Asif. By day he was seeking God. By night he was stretching out his hand seeking God. But it appeared almost as though there was no reply. Have you ever been there? Praying? And the heavens seem like brass. Asking because you know that the, the, the Lord loves someone to be persistent in prayer. Praying again and again and again and seemingly there's no answer. 
But there's no peace in your heart that the Lord has answered with a no. This was Asaph's situation, crying out. Do you know where he was coming from? Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, says this about the first two verses of Psalm 77. His spirit sank so low that like a sick man who cannot eat what is good for him, he was unable to believe cheering truths. Asif knew all the stories of what God had, has done. He knew in his heart how powerful God was. Yet just at this point in his life, it seemed there was no answer. There was only questions. Don Carson, in his commentary, says this. We do not know the causes of Asif's distress, but most of us have passed through the dark nights of the soul, where it seems that either God is dead or else he does not care. And here's Asaph, a bit like Jacob, wrestling all night. And as the day is dawning, the one that Jacob was wrestling with put Jacob's hip out. You remember the story? And he asked him to let go, and Jacob refused, even in his pain, to let go until he'd been blessed. And here's Asaph, troubled to the extent that he could not sleep. He couldn't even speak, just moans and groans were his method of communication with God. But if he was to get out of whatever mess he was in, it started with a cry. And friends, this morning it may be that if your heart is cold towards God, or if you can't work out what, what he's doing in your life, or you're troubled about what's going on in the world around you, it may be that you need to cry out to him. Oh, we're very British, aren't we? We like to hide our emotions most of the time. But there's no doing that with God. He's the great knower of our hearts. He sees and he understands. And then even when we come to him with prayer and confession and requests, he already knows about the sin that's caused us to confess. He already knows about the needs that cause us to ask. But he longs to hear us cry out to him. He could have found someone, no doubt, to say, Asif, it'll all work out for the best, don't worry. But he would accept nothing less than the voice of God. So first of all, there was distress. And then that led to doubting, verses 5 through to um, the first half of verse 10. He started to think about the good old days. Do you see that in verse 5? I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. And my heart made a diligent search. You know, there's a real danger in looking back to old experiences. Oh, they can be so encouraging, I know that. But if that is all that we have to rely on, they can be so dangerous. Spurgeon again. These questions that we find in verses 7 and 8 and 9, they are suggested by fear. But actually, they may serve as the cure of our fears. The questions, will the Lord spurn forever? Will he never again be favourable? He's in such a dark place that he thinks that God's goodness has been switched off forever. Has his steadfast love forever ceased? 
Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? As I say, Asaf starts to remember the old days. But those thoughts lead him to a series of questions. If it was like this uh, all those days ago, all those years ago, when I was singing through the night full of joy for the Lord, when my heart was meditating on him incessantly and he was speaking to my soul, why is it not like this now? Doubts. The paraphrase, the message, paraphrase of the Bible puts it like this. Will the Lord walk off and leave us for good? Will he never smile again? Is his love worn threadbare? Has his salvation promised burned out? Has God forgotten his manners? Has he angrily stomped off and left us? Just my luck, I said. The high God retires just the moment I need him. Is that you this morning? Lord, I need you more than I've ever needed you before. And it seems to me now that you've gone. When we feel our faith is faltering, we automatically assume that it must be God who has changed and not us. I'm reminded of a, um, a man who was attending one of uh, the evangelistic campaigns of Torrey back in the early 1900s. Uh, he was greatly concerned that he couldn't hold on to his faith. He trusted the Lord, but he said, how am I going to be able to hold on to, to, to my faith with everything that's going on? The pianist in, in the campaign team, who himself had been, he'd been saved in a remarkable way, a man called Mr. Harkness, he spoke to the young man and he wrote a letter to an English hymn writer that he'd met the previous year. And she wrote back with a hymn. And this hymn has had a, a revival over recent years. When I fear, my faith will fail. Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he can hold me fast. I could never keep my hold, he must hold me fast. For my love is often cold, he must hold me fast. I am precious in his sight. He, he will hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. Christ will hold me fast. Bought by him at such a cost. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Saviour loves me so. He will hold me fast. Do you feel that God has run out on you? Do you feel that when you ask and when you come and when you need to know and when you look around and you want to understand that there are no answers? Do you feel that God has gone missing just when you needed him most? No, he hasn't. He will hold you fast. But there's a shift here in these verses. Asaph seems to have fallen to, into a bit of a trap. He, he remembered the good old days, as I've mentioned. It's likely that he longed for the good old days when the nights were filled with song and his heart was filled with thoughts of God 
times long past and gone. And the fact was that when he considered his current circumstances, whatever they were, he came to the conclusion that God must have changed. And we are made of the same stuff. When all else fails, question God. When that doesn't bring us the answer that we want, blame God. When we look around and we see things that are not the way they used to be, doubt God. But there was a way out of Asaph's struggles. There was an answer to his problems. And it required that he shifted his outlook. Instead of remembering the way it used to be for him, he started to remember God and what God had done. So our final point this morning, deliverance. We find for this man who's with these dark struggles and doubts, when there appears to be no way, God provides one. And he does it as he causes Asaph to remember rightly. You can read it there in verse 10 through to the end of the psalm. Uh, Asaph says this, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember not the times as they used to be when I was singing all night and thinking of the great things that God has, uh, has touched me with. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I remember what God has done. I will remember his ways are holy. I remember that he's like no other God. He's the one who works wonders. He's the one who makes known his might. He's the one who, who redeems his people. Even the waters saw you. And it's another reference, isn't it, to the crossing of the Red Sea. Even the waters saw you. And when they saw you, they were afraid. The deep trembled, the cloud poured out water, the skies gave out thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. Our God is a great God. And Asaph started to think on the greatness, on the, the, the personality, the characteristics, the attributes of God. And he came to the conclusion, verse 20, you led your people like a flock. By the hand of Moses and Aaron. Asaph is led to make a decision. I wonder whether you've ever had that experience as, as you've been praying. That suddenly, as you've been praying for whatever it might be, that God has come to you uh, with such a force uh, that he's caused you to, to resolve that you must do something. To make a decision. Has there ever been a time when he so clearly speaks and turns your attitude, your thinking, he turns it right around? So Asif makes his appeal to God. He doesn't remember the nights when he was singing. He doesn't remember the days when he was so warmed by the thoughts of God. But rather he remembers the mighty deeds of God down the years. The miracles that he had not only heard or read about passed down from generation to generation. And if we are to get ourselves out of the darkness of our situation, we need to do what he, he did. See it there. I will appeal to the Most High God. I will remember the wonders and works of his hand. I will ponder all of his works. I will meditate on your mighty deeds. The nearest I can come to an answer of what had happened was that earlier in the psalm he was mulling in his own, uh, stewing in his own juice, my mother used to call it. 
He was so um, upset about his own situation that he couldn't see the way forward. But now he raises his eyes. He remembers the Lord. I will appeal to the Most High God. I will remember the wonders and works of his hand. Not just his miracles, but his character, his attributes. You are holy, you are mighty. You are a wonder-working redeemer. I will ponder on all of his works. I will meditate on your mighty deeds. Remember as God led his people through the Red Sea, as the waters parted, as the earth shook, as the lightning uh, came from the sky, and he led his people through the waters. And Asaph seems to be, be, be seeing in that situation a parallel. If God led his people through the waters, then he'll lead me through this. His power is not changed. Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, not if, you shall not be burned. Isaiah knew in chapter 43 that, that these sort of times uh, were going to overtake all of us because he didn't say, if you pass through the waters, if you walk through the fire, it was when. Because I am your God, he says in Isaiah 43.3. When Asif took his heart and mind off the old days and the happy times and he cast his mind on God's great redemptive acts, I assume his faith was strengthened. His vision of God was renewed and his despair lifted. His doubts were driven away. So what do we do? When the darkness is crowding in on us, when the skies are grey and the clouds are filled with rain, what do we do? We cast our mind to Calvary. We see there on the cross Jesus hanging in our place. We've just remembered it, haven't we, at Easter? There bearing in his body on the tree all of my sin. And when we're tempted to think, has God disappeared? The cross still stands forever. When we're tempted to ask, does God really still love me? We see the cross. And without having to say any words, the cross speaks to us. Yes, God loves you. There's another psalm which answers um, Asaph's questions. Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always chide. He will not keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Oh, Asaph, I, don't, I know what you're going through. I know it seems darkness, but my love hasn't changed. It's still High as the heavens above, as we sang with the children before. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he, he remove our transgressions from us. And you can go as far as you want to the east, and as far as you want to the west. They're going in opposite directions. And that's what God has done. As my father-in-law, when he was preaching, he used to say, um, God's taken our sins. He's rolled them up 
in a big cloth and he's waded down with a big heavy piece of lead and he's sailed out into the middle of the deepest sea and he's thrown him into the deepest part of the ocean and he's put up a sign don't ask me where the sign was stuck into but he's put up a sign saying no fishing because so far has God removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west are you doubting because there is sin in your life and you can't do anything about it you need to believe that God has removed your sins you need to come and repent and tell God what he already knows but if we say that we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sin he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us for our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Asaph turned his eyes from the surrounding situation and he looked at God, the person of God, the power of God, the promises of God and he found that they were still yea and amen and we know that they are in Jesus Christ as the hymn writer puts it and we're almost done O soul are you weary and troubled no light in the darkness you see is that you that was Asaph there's life light for a look at the saviour and life more abundant and free are you going to say the chorus with me? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Asaph was in a place of despair. That led him to a, a place of doubting. But when he shifted his gaze from himself to God, he found that God was a God of deliverance. And you can know that, and I can know that too. Not just waiting for eternal life, waiting for heaven when everything will be put right, and it will, but enjoying the presence of God day by day in our lives as we go. God wants you to know that there is a way out of the darkest valleys and the deepest pit. The way is one of trust when we cannot see, trust when we cannot hear, trust when we have no strength to carry on. In my life, that usually means that I have to alter my view, like Asif. Instead of wanting things to happen the way I want them. Instead of wanting my life to be the edited highlights of my walk with God. I can commit my way to the Lord. I can leave my days in his hands. I can trust and not be afraid. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your Bible, that your, your word, the Bible, tells things as they are. We thank you for the dark passages in your word because we find that invariably when the, the writer's eyes are turned to face you that the darkness is driven away and you bring light and hope. So I pray for this your word this morning that as uh, it has been given in weakness so far that it might be applied to the hearts of all who would hear it that we might know the truth but if we turn our eyes upon Jesus, if we look full in his wonderful face, then the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. 
in the light of your glory and grace. May it be so in our lives, for your glory. Amen. I think we're going to sing again. Is that right? 31, which I think, from my five-year-old knowledge of uh, Mission Praise, is Amazing Grace. Yeah, jolly good, thanks. Better switch myself off, haven't I?